Let's use real words that people understand because when you're talking about an elevator pitch, you want anybody to understand what you do. You don't want to necessarily assume they're in the industry or they get what you're saying, right? You want to say to them, companies have this problem and we solve it. And usually if you just really parse that down to a very simple words that your aunt or your grandmother would understand, then you'll get to that point. Welcome to CEO School. We're your hosts, Sanira Madani and Shannon Monson, and we believe that you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue, and we're on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who have made it to the 2% Club, as well as women well on their way, sharing how they've defied the odds so that you can do it too. You're a real business now. Class is officially in session. This episode is sponsored by The Club, a quarterly box and digital monthly community to help you level up in leadership and life. Learn more today at join.theceoschool.co slash the club. Hi, everyone. Welcome to CEO School. This is your host, Sanira Madani, and I'm so excited to welcome today's guest, Katrina Harris. Katrina is actually a personal friend of mine locally here in Orlando, and she is just the most incredible, badass CEO. And you're going to be in the room where all the magic happens today. So make sure that you're listening, not on full speed, because you're not going to miss the things that Katrina has to share with us because Katrina is the CEO of a PR agency called Uproar. And Uproar has been my PR agency for quite some time since the beginning um, of Fat Merchant Days. But what I'm so excited to for you guys to take away is not only Katrina's story of starting and scaling an organization, taking it to massive heights, and of course, making it to the 2% Club, but really on her actual tangible tips and tricks for all of us, no matter where we are in our professional journeys to really brand ourselves, really brand our companies and to get noticed by the media. So without further ado, I'm so excited to welcome Katrina. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Samira. Yes. This is so, it's so fun when things like come full circle that you're on my show, whereas you've literally placed me on every single show ever. No, it is so fun. And you know, you talk about watching us grow, but watching you guys grow has been incredibly fun. I mean, from our very first meeting, I feel like you guys have just blown up everywhere. So it's fantastic. And you guys had such a big hand in helping us <laughs> blow up. And I really always, I say that so sincerely, I'm like the biggest Uproar fan, not just because of the actual deliverables of the work that you guys have done, but truly just helping us think through our presence um, as a company and helping us think through our brand and what the brand actually means and how to actually get attention uh, from bigger brands, even when you think you're so tiny. And so I'd love to kind of uh, talk a little bit about Uproar, what you guys do a little bit. So start with your, you know, start with Uproar and share kind of how you started that journey. What was your background? Yeah. So Uproar is a full service PR firm. We really look at PR from three different categories, media relations, thought leadership, and digital. And truly our job is to, to go out there and get that brand awareness that's going to drive sales, whatever sales means for that particular company, right? It could be true sales. It could be partners. It could be the exit strategy. Um, you know, and I started my career in PR. Um, embarrassingly, I didn't know what PR was. I went to college for broadcast. I thought I was going to be a TV reporter. I got to my last semester of college, kind of had this realization. I didn't have a tape. I didn't have anything ready to go. I was taking a PR class and as luck would have it, had a guest speaker who was uh, hiring. She brought me in for an interview. 
I accepted the job. And my first day I walked in and was like, I don't even know what PR is, but I'm going to fake it until I make it. And I'm going to figure this out. And within a couple of months, obviously I knew what I was doing and, and I loved it. And for me, there was this passion behind being able to tell a company's story and truly know that everything we do is helping them grow their brand. And from there, that passion just sort of blossomed. That's incredible. And how long were you, you know, when did you transition from working in PR to then starting your own company? So I guess it was a little over maybe 12 years that I worked in the business before I owned the business. In the last few years, I was helping run another agency and it was very clear to me where I wanted to go. Um, as much as I loved being involved and rolling up my sleeves and being involved in that branding and messaging and helping clients get out there, I knew that I wanted to be in the business side of things. And so that's really what I would work my eight hours doing my job. And then at the nights I would spend the time in the books and trying to figure out how we were going to grow. What was our growth strategy and what was the next level we were going to go to? And, and that's when I realized I had to do it on my own. And so, yeah, it was about 12 years after I started in the industry. And that's such a good amount of time. And I love that. And I love that you share that because I think sometimes there's this notion that you can just get, and you can, I mean, I've seen it happen where people can get started and be successful without having a ton of experience on it, you know, in their industry or particularly, um, learning their craft. But I do believe that, you know, the ones that are really successful that have the experience in corporate or solving that problem first end up becoming super successful business owners because they've seen both sides of the spectrum where they've actually been on the client service side. They've been in the weeds working, they've rolled up their sleeves, they understand the industry. And then you're like, Hey, I have, I'm fully equipped to go then do it on my own because I have the knowledge within me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was able to make my mistakes as an employee rather than as a business owner. Um, and, and really kind of figure out kind of all the basic stuff, right? I mean, I can't imagine starting an agency. So at least in my career, um, without having worked in one and, and learned my way through and not only just working in one, but learning the business side and how it works and what's the operation and what would I change and how would I approach this that may be different or better or worse, um, just so that I can can take it to my own. And so, um, yeah, for me, it was so vital to have those 12 years to learn and grow and learn from the people around me. No, oh, I love it. And you're such a successful CEO, but such a great leader. I mean, I've seen you in action at your office, the culture that you guys have built. I don't know if I've shared this with you. One of the first visits that I had in Orlando when I started my company and I got introduced to you guys and I came to your office for an interview to say, Hey, you know, should we be working together? I left so inspired by the, the meeting that we had. I left so inspired by just your office, your culture, the environment, the awards on the wall, the beautiful culture surround just like how cool your office vibe was. Everybody was so just incredible to interact with. And then all, all the plaques on the wall. And I just remember leaving that experience. And I was just like, I want to have a company like that. Like if she can do it. And I remember you had, you had just become a mom or you, um, your, your little one was made with just a toddler. Perhaps you had a treadmill inside of your office. I believe it was like one, a, the tiniest office. You didn't even have the biggest office in compared to maybe your other executives. And you literally had a treadmill that was sitting in your office. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, I want to be a mom. I want to be like Katrina. She has this made and I want to be one of those plaques on the wall too. Like I want to have a successful company like this. And I don't remember, I don't know if I've ever shared that story with you, but I left feeling so inspired by just 
visiting your space and seeing your success. Cause I never met a lot of women that had owned companies that operated companies and just seeing that sparked something so, um, so amazing for me. Well, you're so sweet. I actually do remember that meeting. Um, and meeting you because you had so much energy and I just knew that you were going to be a huge success too. And I was so happy to be working with you, but yeah, I mean, you, you bring up the struggle of just kind of balancing everything, right? I mean, I call uproar. So my husband and I started it together, but I call uproar our third child because when we started the business, our daughters were one and three and looking back, I, I don't know how we did it. Right. I mean, we would put them to bed at night and then we would work for another four or five hours just to kind of hustle and, and get things going. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that that comes easy and it doesn't, especially if you're managing family and, and life, um, you know, balance issues. Um, but it, you know, you have to put in the time. And so we would do our full day's work and then at night spend time with the kids. And as soon as they were down, it was, you know, back at it. And, and that is really hard. And, and the treadmill's part of that, right? I mean, who has time to get a full workout in? And so it's a walking treadmill, but it's fantastic. I take all my conference calls while I'm walking and I at least get steps in throughout the day. No, it, you really nailed it. What we assume is the nine to five, when you become a business owner, it's a nine to five and the five to nine, like it's literally both. It never stops. And then you add parenting to the mix. You add being a mom to the mix and just whatever the family dynamic looks like. I mean, parents are no parents, but it's definitely such a struggle for us to just to have that balance. What are some things that you, you can say that really led to that balance for you? I know you said it was a big blur kind of getting to this point, but I really want the audience to get a, how did you actually balance it? And I'd love for the audience to hear a little bit about the success that uproars had, how massive the, like how big your company's gotten. You have offices around the nation. If you can kind of paint that picture, cause you didn't, you don't have a time. You have one of the biggest agencies in Orlando. Yeah. I mean, the balance comes from just doing it when it needs to be done. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I've actually never heard that nine to five, five to nine, but that is spot on, but it also means taking care of family life or kids life during the day. Right. I mean, my to-do list is work and personal and it's, Hey, I need to make that doctor's appointment for my daughter, or I need to schedule this. But at the same time, I'm going to be working when the kids are around. And, um, you know, there was a lot of travel when the kids were young and that's a balance, right? As your toddlers are crying that you're leaving for another work trip and, you know, trying to figure out how you're going to make this all happen. But I think, um, for me, it was knowing if I'm successful, then in the later years when my kids are in high school, I'm going to have more time with them, right? Which is where I'm at now. My kids are in middle school and high school, and I do have a lot more time with them. So you're just trying to figure it out every step along the way. But for me, the balance just came by the day is the day. And it doesn't matter when things get done as long as they get done. I love that. You're just like, it, it just gets done. Like if it's on the list, it just gets done. And how do you prioritize sometimes, right? So I think that's kind of one of the biggest struggles that I see um, just everyone face is sometimes we're, we're so busy. There's so many things to get done. How do you stay focused on the things that actually move the needle? I am a big believer, no matter where you're at in your career to follow the 80, 20 rule, right? 80% is, is going to move the needle. And so let's get that done. Let the 20% drop. And that's the less, less impactful things, right? But what's going to actually move the needle and what can I do today? that's going to make tomorrow easier. And that's going to make tomorrow more of an impact on everything that goes on. And I think if you follow that, you're going to realize there's a lot of stuff that you can just let go. You can delegate, you can pass off, or you can just wait until you have that free hour to get it done. Um, but that's something that I really work with my employees and my team on as well. 
I love that. And 80, 20 rule. I mean, it's always a good reminder to have that. And there's so many things that the 80, 20 rule even applies to something else that I talk about all the time is that it doesn't have to be perfect. It could be 80%. Right. And it's even that 20% of letting go that 20% to say it's okay. It's good enough. Um, And there's some things that you don't want it to be 80, 20, and that's fine, but you can't be a hundred percent at a hundred percent all the time. For sure. You'll beat your head against the wall over that 20%, which will take longer than it did for the 80%, right? Like, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. Like if you're working on something, you know, sometimes I'll be writing something and I'll spend what I think is 80%. And then I'll say, you know what? I just need another set of eyes on this or I need to step away. And then when you come back, you realize it's pretty darn near perfect, right? So we can just go with this. And that that goes with your personal life too, right? If, if the laundry's piled up a little bit, that's okay, right? The rest of the house is clean. The kids are happy. They're fed. Then you're good. And you can just kind of move on at that point. I love it. No, it's, it's, it's so true. We beat ourselves up for that last 20%. Usually that last last 20% ends up taking longer than the first 80% in the first place. I love it. Well, you know, something that I I, I know that the audience is dying to hear is all the tips and tricks that you can give us about what is like, what is PR? How do you get noticed by the media? What are some things that you can talk to us about branding, about pitching? So I'm just going to let this conversation organically flow. And I'm really excited to learn more from you as I have so much, but from our audience to really take away from how they can be thinking about pitching themselves. Yeah. I think it depends on where you're at as a company, right? Um, PR is most effective as you are ready to, or already have sales, right? If you are pre-sales, whatever sales means for you, if you are pre-sales, you're probably not ready for that PR push. But once you are ready to get out there and get customers, and again, if you're an early stage company, that customer may mean your venture capital, right? It may mean partners, it may mean distributors, whatever that is. And and so when you're thinking about, am I ready for PR? Ask yourself those questions. Do I need other people to know about me for me to take my business to the next level? Yes, okay, then it's time for PR. Um, You know, and, and I said earlier on in this, PR for us is media relations, thought leadership, and digital. So if we break that down a little bit, media relations is any of that third-party validation that you read about in the press or you see in the press, right? So think about your blogs, think about your influencers, um, your TV, radio, podcasts, anything like that. That's your media relations. And, um, Thought leadership is awards and speaking opportunities, right? So are there awards out there that you should be applying for your company, for your product, for your executive team, for yourself, right? To to get that uh, visibility. Um, Speaking opportunities. I've even heard a lot of people say, oh, there's no speaking opportunities during COVID. There's probably more speaking opportunities during COVID because people have time and they're taking these Zoom meetings, right? So think about where are your customers or your partners and where do you want to be speaking? And those are the places you should be focusing your efforts on. And when it comes to digital, I mean, that's everything from um, your social platforms and making sure that you're getting strategic content out there um, to ad monitoring on those social platforms and, you know, Google ads and SEO. So think about what you're doing there and how much of your business is being driven through the web. Um, Once you kind of have a, a, a good understanding right there at that baseline of what your company needs, then take your time to sit back and go, okay, what can I do as myself, as the business owner, as the entrepreneur to take it um, to that next level. You asked about how do you pitch yourself with media relations? Think about who are my customers reading, right? So, you know, for you, Sanira, it was both a local and a trade pitch when we started, right? When you were small, 
you needed to be in the Orlando media. You needed that from a recruiting standpoint, right? So sales for you at that point was, I've got to have the best people on board. And so you're looking at that local media so that people want to come and join your culture. But you're also looking at the trade media because you need actual sales. You need dollars. You need the tech press because you need venture capital. So um, if you can think about where are those areas that my, my key stakeholders are reading and what are the messages I need to get out, start to make some, some um, friends with some local reporters or some of those key reporters. And a couple of those can go a long way for you as you start out. I think, I think that's a really big point. I'm going to pause right here because I think you said so many great things along the way that first you asked the question of where are you in your sales journey? It's, I hear so much of, well, I just wish I was like, I got picked up by a Forbes or an Inc or a massive publication and that would just change the game for us. And it's actually not true. It's not, it's not the publication that's going to change the game. If you have a product and sales and uh, a great market fit, then you are a pitchable company first and foremost. But even if you get one of those publications, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to turn into quote sales or just in our eyes, we view significance as actually sales for the business when it's actually not. And I've seen that a lot with many of the women entrepreneurs that I work with and significance sometimes becomes like a big driver. And in defense, we are having to prove ourselves constantly, right? Like constantly we as women need to prove ourselves, which we shouldn't. And so sometimes I, when, when I'm in these conversations, I understand where it feels like, okay, significance is important because that's a way to validate, to say that we're legit. Right. And so that's one component, but you have to be ready from a sales standpoint. If you are pre-revenue, if you are too early on, if you don't have a competitive differentiation, it's not going to just organically, and that's not going to be the first thing that's going to take place. You have to start locally. And what's also not going to take place is immediate amounts of sales coming through because somebody major mentioned your company. I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, that would be rare if you got one piece of coverage and all of a sudden your sales pipeline was full, right? You're a hundred percent right. I mean, we will have clients come to us, potential clients come to us and say, you know, in the process, I want to be in the wall street journal. And my big thing is to challenge them, right? I'm, I'm here to be strategic counsel. I'm not here to go do what you say. If, if that were the case, right, then why would you hire PR expertise if, if the company already knew how to do it? So I'm gonna always challenge. And so I do hear that in the, in the sales process a lot. I just wanna be in the Wall Street Journal. Well, why? Let's talk yeah. about that. Let's talk about competitors are, or that's what my mom reads. Um, or, you know, that's what my sales guys told me I need to be in. Well, let's take a step back. What are our actual goals? And what are our short-term goals and our long-term goals? And how can we get there? And typically, you want to try that message out, too. You know, that's one thing is if you're new to PR and you're new to getting out there, what's going to resonate in the marketplace? You know, if we go get you a trade piece of coverage or a local piece of coverage in your market, let's try that out. Okay, how did it resonate? How did the article actually come out? Did we like how it looked? Were all the key messages in there? Yes, fantastic. Let's take it to the next level. No? Okay, well, let's revise and refine. Did we do the interview well? Um, did we provide a referenceable customer in the article? Um, what would have made that article better? And then we can go from there, right? And then by the time you're hitting the Wall Street Journal, either it's a feature and they've heard of you and it's going to be a fantastic article, or it's a great opportunity for thought leadership, right? Where Maybe it's the right industry at the right time, and you would be the expert source for that article that would be a fit. Um, but I certainly wouldn't race for that big, put your name in lights, marquee um, type of article if you're not ready and haven't worked your way up there. 
No, I think that's such great advice. How do you start locally, right? So if I'm a new company or, you know, or if, if I have, if I'm, maybe I'm not brand new, but I'm, I have moderate sales. I have a great company. Where, what do you start with, right? So what are the first things that you're looking for in a PR client? And then what are the first like immediate sets of actions that you give them? So you want to think about who's the target stakeholder, right? So if that's a customer, for example, is it a consumer or is it a business? So if you don't mind, I'll use Fat Merchant again, right? Consumers wouldn't be your core target. So therefore, I'd probably eliminate morning TV, right? And I would start with our print press. So I would take a look at the business journal. I would take a look at the local paper, um, you know, what are the other publications in town who are covering business, who are covering fintech, those sorts of things. And then make some friendly calls, right? If you're a business owner or a CEO or an executive, call the editor, call a reporter and say, hey, I'm just calling to introduce myself. I'm not pitching myself, right? Never pitch yourself on the first time. Build that relationship. So I would, I would probably call them and say, here's who I am. I'm CEO of whatever company. Um, if you ever need a source, I'd love to be a source for you. Could I take you to coffee? Could we have lunch? I would say nine times out of 10, they'd be open that conversation and then you will become that source for them. So it's so much about relationship building more than anything else. I love that. I love just picking up the phone, like just old school, just pick up the phone and find the editor and just connect with them. And now there's so many ways of connecting. Now there's two, there's, there's social media, there's LinkedIn, there's so many different avenues and not pitching, just introducing yourself saying, hi, I'm Sanera. I'm the founder and CEO of Blink. I have a mission to do this thing. This is what my company does. This is what we're an expert in. I just wanted to introduce myself. If you ever need a source here for something, feel free to reach out to me. Yeah. I'll tell you what, one of my early hits early in my career, I was the PR manager at a museum in Silicon Valley. And I did that to one of the TV reporters in town. I called him and I said, here's the deal. I'm new here. If you ever need anything, let me know. He ended up using us as the backdrop for the next two years for all of his segments. And so we got a hit in every one of those. And so, you know, I was doing him a favor. He was doing me a favor. And, you know, it just was all about that relationship. I love it. I love it. And sounds it's, you make it sound super simple. What about from a, a brand package standpoint? I know you work a lot on, uh, just the brand story and the brand messaging. We all assume brand is just the logo and the aesthetic. So we'd love to kind of hear your PR expertise and how you view a brand, how you view messaging, how do you kind of compile that together for, for a business? Yeah. So I really focus on the words for when it comes to messaging with clients, right? We don't do the visual design, but for me, it's sitting down. Um, I do this exercise where I like to get as many executives in the room at once and just do a very simple exercise. Tell me about the company. Who is the company? What's your elevator pitch? Um, you're going to see one of two things. One is they are completely spot on. They're all in agreement or they are so different. You can't even believe they work for the same company. And then using that one exercise, just getting everybody into agreement. The hardest part with messaging a company, especially an early stage company is getting everyone in the room, right? Once you're in the room and you've got somebody who's facilitating that, and that can be somebody on the team or it can be somebody outsourced, um, just to facilitate. Okay. Hold on a second. You said this word, is that really important, right? Um, Yeah, that really is. Okay, well, we're using this vernacular over here. Let's put that all together. And what does that actually mean? Is that an internal phrase that nobody understands? Let's get rid of it, right? Let's use real words that people understand because when you're talking about an elevator pitch, you want anybody to understand what you do. You don't wanna necessarily assume they're in the industry or they get what you're saying, right? 
you want to say to them, companies have this problem and we solve it, right? And usually if you just really parse that down to a very simple words that your aunt or your grandmother would understand, then you'll get to that point. I love it. It is. It's all about the words. It's all about the messaging. And usually I bet that when you get those executives in the room or just your team, the teams in the room, nine out of 10 times, they're probably not saying the same thing because we just went through that. And what's crazy is we just went through that um, after seven years. Like there's been so much evolution in the company at Fat Merchant. We're actually in the process of a major rebrand right now that is taking place. And one of the things was because we've evolved so much and we have so many different departments. We've got so many different stakeholders. And when you talk about sales, I love the question that you asked. A sale doesn't necessarily mean it's not there. It's not just the revenue. A sale could be in terms of your partners, your venture, your community. The sale could be employees. Um, and so there's so many different aspects of who the stakeholders are in an organization. It's important to get the messaging right and have a cohesive brand story. Um, and maybe the founder can deliver that and, but, and, but not the rest of the team. And that's a problem of having a clearly defined, here's who we are. Here's who our target audience is. Here is what we do. Grandma, do you understand me? Yeah. Oh, I'm telling you. And if you can get everybody in the room for two hours, you can knock that out. I love that. That's definitely an exercise that we can all take away. Um, Could you share some stories with us? Any fun war stories you have? You're obviously um, a super powerhouse uh, woman here. You've won so many incredible awards. You have offices around the nation. Uh, Tell us some, you know, what what were some of the things that you wish you knew now um, after having all the success that while you were building it, that you could just look back at Katrina and say, it's going to be okay because here's what I can tell you now. Yeah. Um, growth is painful, right? I can start every story with that statement. Um, you know, I love that growth is painful. Growth is so painful. It's so painful. You and I were just talking before this, talking about how hard (laughs) just growth is. It's so painful. Yeah. You know, our first five years in business, we grew a hundred percent year over year. Um, and for us, we don't have a product. So that growth comes in people. Um, And when we started the company, we took a culture first approach. It was vital to us that we hired for culture and focused on our culture. You know, working at a PR agency is very stressful. Um, You have client demands, um, multiple deadlines for multiple clients. And so it's just inherently a very stressful uh, profession. And so we want to do our best um, as the executive team to make sure that our employee feels cared for and respected and that they get to have a little fun in their day as well. So putting culture first for us meant having a a team environment, which is not necessarily the norm for agencies. Um, So everybody needed to be able to share with each other and work as one team. Um, It also meant that we were going to work as a team, right? You say work hard, play hard. I know it sounds so cliche, but we were, we were going to get great results for clients and we were going to be able to have fun as a team, whatever that meant, right. For that particular team. Um, but by putting culture first for me, it meant if you have happy people, you're going to have happy clients, right? Typically people that produce well are those that are happy with their job, happy with their managers. And so let's look at, at putting that first. Um, and I think in our first or second year in business, we made a hire, you know, and every hire at that point counts. Um, we made a hire who didn't fit our culture, but had an amazing resume. And we knew it was wrong. And every day we knew it was wrong. And it took us way too long before we finally let this person go. 
Um, and when we did, it was like this whole refreshing, like everybody just did a sigh of relief because we realized, you know what, that was our first and probably our only, um, time when we realized, okay, we didn't put culture first here and we made a mistake and we're never going to let that happen again. And so that was one big, huge learning moment for us when we realized, you know what, always, always culture first. Otherwise in a small organization, like we were back then, everybody's going to feel that bad mistake. It's so true. I think one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten in my career was hire slow, fire fast. And we've all heard it. And yet we all seem to no matter what, make this mistake as entrepreneurs is not fire fast enough because it's hard because you're connected. You feel like it's almost a failure on you to let somebody else fail as a business owner, as an entrepreneur that you go so out of your way to try to make it work, even though you know, in your gut that it's, it's not the right fit. And it does, it creates toxicity across your culture and everybody can feel it too. And it does drive low performance. I love it. Growth is hard and, uh, just growth is hard. I just, there's like no more words after that to really say, um, you know, and it's, and it's another hard thing is not knowing what you don't know. You know, I, I worked in the business for 12 years. I, was an integral part in running another agency, but there was so many things I didn't know that I didn't know. I mean, silly things, right? Like entrepreneurs are going to laugh, but how do you do your books? And how do you do them right? And learning to be a bookkeeper while you're trying to run a business and you thought you just did PR and, oh my gosh, I've got to do HR. How do I do onboarding and offboarding? And, oh my gosh, I've got to find a lawyer and all of these things that you don't think about. That's really hard, you know? And I think one of the, every year at our, we do a year-end retreat. And we're all about transparency during that retreat and and throughout the year. But one of the facts that has always shocked our staff the most is how much aging AR we have on the books, right? Or how much bad debt gets left on the books. And, you know, those are the sorts of things that you don't think about when you're off to start your business. You know, you just think everything's going to work perfectly. If I'm going to charge X, that's going to be coming through the door. This is going to cost Y. Oh, everything's going to be perfect. But those things that you learn as a business owner down the road and and realize can happen. Um, those are the things that keep you up at night. And it's, it's so true. All the things that you just don't know, you learn through experience, right? I mean, something that I always feel is the job that I'm showing up for today is the biggest job. It's bigger than the one I had yesterday because my, the company continues to grow, right? Every single day that you're in business, Katrina, it's a bigger job than you had the day before. And it comes with something new. And that is also part of it. And I think one of the biggest strengths that, gets us through. And I think that this is one of your biggest strengths is just being able to ask for help, being able to say, Hey, I don't need to be the smartest person here. Let me go tap into that resource. Let me go find somebody who can do this job better than me. Um, so that I could have the right set of eyes on the books and the right set of eyes on the things that I don't, that that I'm not going to have, but that doesn't mean that you're completely aloof to what else is happening. And sometimes I see that as well, um, in founders where, Either they're super in control or they're too controlling or they're, they're not willing to let it go. And then the business suffers because of that. And two, they find the people to be in control, but then they are so out of it that they have no idea what's actually taking place in the business. And it, and that doesn't actually add, there's nobody adding strategic value there into holistically bringing together that business. And so then it be, creates these little silos and different departments that never actually end up talking to each other. And it doesn't really have that cohesive success in that, in the business. So it's almost like one of two things. And where I see it's really successful is people like you who are like, I'm going to go get the experts, but I'm also going to know my shit too. 
Like there's no, if, if your main person for whatever it is left tomorrow, you would know where to pick up. It wouldn't be, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't be aloof to say, oh, I have no idea. And like, it, it wouldn't be such a hard thing for you because you, you still know how to actually get the job done. Yeah. Oh, I think it's so important to learn all of those jobs. So important. And it's it scary, but it, it, but it's not right. You just have to, it's growth is uncomfortable, right? It's also uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and speaking to people maybe who are listening who are not founders, I think that's important at every stage of your career, right? You can't possibly know how to manage the person under you if you don't know what they do every single day and ask those questions. You know, what do you do? How do you handle this? Maybe you came up through their position. Maybe you promoted through the position. Maybe you didn't, right? Maybe you came into this organization. So having those two-way conversations with the people on your team are so important as well, right? Um, you know, maybe something they do every day you think should take them 10 minutes, but it actually takes them two hours and trying to understand that because um, there's a stat out there that 85% of people leave their job because of their manager, not because of the company. So you want to make sure that they're happy with, with the team that they're working with and the manager that they have. And the only way you can do that is by building that trusting relationship and that two-way communications is the first step there. Oh, I love it. That's just so much gold right there. Katrina, while I have you for a few more minutes, I'd love to hear some fun PR horror stories because I know you've got some really fun ones up your sleeve. I know we, we didn't prep on that, but uh, share some of like the worst pitches that you've, you were, you've worked on or share something fun. Oh gosh, I'm going to not incriminate myself. Um, I took a client on press tour and um, they stayed up all night partying like serious partying and never went to bed. And we had 8 a.m. meetings with the press. And I thought there was no way they were ever going to make it to the interviews, but they were young and they were hungry and they showed up and they did a great job. It's not the way that I would have prepped them and not the way I wanted things to go, but they managed to make it happen. But um, you, were, you were like freaking out. The whole, it was like Queen uh, Gambit style. Freaking out. I was like, oh my God, this is all going to go down horribly, but they did fantastic. Um, yeah, that, uh, there's a lot of horror stories that we may have to take off the podcast in here and, and just go have drinks. I know because you, you've had to do also do a lot of PR cleanup, right? That's also part of your job that people don't know is that it's not always, not all press is good press. Um, and so there's a lot of cleanup that has to take place if you are not in a positive light or if you have angry customers and all these things are so important. People love the, the concept of having super success, but sometimes the success also, it's so Hard. It comes with all the scrutiny. It comes with all of the, the judgments. It comes with all the good, bad, the ugly. Um, and you're under a microscope. So you can't do anything wrong because you are such a public figure. And so that also becomes a challenge. And part of your job is to help a lot of clients do that cleanup. Absolutely. I mean, crisis is something you have to plan for, right? There's, there's going to be a crisis that you're not even thinking about today. And you have to plan for that. And how are you going to handle that? And that's, that's a big part of what we do. I love it. And it's nice when the companies uh, have a strategy and a PR team in place versus coming to you when they, when they only have a crisis. Yeah. And we can handle both, but it's, it's, I always tell companies plan for the crisis because then you'll never have it, you know, take the time and energy to do that crisis planning. Um, and it's so much easier to handle and it keeps everybody's blood pressure down. <laughs> Where can the women continue to learn from you, find you, find the company, ask questions, see if they're ready? Where can we learn more? 
So all of the social channels, probably most active on LinkedIn, but you can find me on Instagram. My name's spelled funny, but I'm sure Sanira has it here in writing. I'll put it in the show notes below. Perfect. Um, So everything should just be at Katrina Harris. And I would love to hear from anybody. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Katrina, for spending time with us today on the show. I know we've got always work to do on the brand element and getting our pitch down right. We're going to pick up the phone, start local, and uh, get our messaging correct across the company. We appreciate you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing your handle so that the audience can reach you. And uh, hopefully we can invite you back for, hopefully we can invite you back for some more fun on the show as well as some more fun inside of the club. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for being here today. And thank you so much to our audience for listening. We'll see you next week at CEO School. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Follow us at CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration, and exclusive behind the scenes that you won't find anywhere else. We also have an absolutely incredible resource for you. It's the seven lessons we learned building million dollar businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you absolutely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, why you love the show, screenshot the review, and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com and we'll send it your way.